John has recorded for us along with each one of the gospel writers words from the cross during the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we come to the third saying from the cross here in John's gospel chapter 19. These are the words of the Lord from John's gospel. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour the disciple took her into his own household. Aren't you glad that uh, when you read about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, that there were a few people there to weep? Most everybody was screaming, crucify, crucify, crucify. But gathered at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ were certainly his mother. His disciple isn't interesting that when John describes himself, he always describes himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Sounds like a Southern Baptist disciple to me. Got to brag on ourselves a little bit, you know. But he always puts that in, that he's the one that's doing it. Now, there's another reason for it. You know that Jesus and John were first cousins, earthly first cousins. Their mothers were sisters. So therefore, I'm sure, growing up and doing things, that there were times that they did things together that are not recorded in Scripture. And so I think it's very fitting that John could identify himself in such a way. But aren't you thankful to God that there were people there who were weeping at the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Little group of sympathetic, bereaved, wondering souls. It's such a contrast to the crowd that's screaming, crucify them, crucify. And among that crowd was his mother. Jesus looked down and he saw Mary and she realized, or he realized that she'd suffered a great deal because of him. Can't you hear the scuttlebutt and the rumors? She's pregnant and she's not married. Sounds like Lindale, doesn't it? Or where I live. You see, everywhere we turn, we're interested somewhat in gossip. And Mary was no stranger to it here because... Many times folks sought to make it unpleasant for her in this relationship of this irregular birth of this son of hers called Jesus. Jesus himself on more than one occasion had remembered to, to almost rebuke his mother. The wedding feast in Cana of Galilee, she came and said, they've run out of wine. He said, woman, what am I to do with you? She stepped back away, and as she was walking away, she said to the servants, you do whatever it tells you to do. Then Jesus turned the water into wine after they'd filled up the pots with the water. So she had even at times sensed that there was a rebuke. Among the others who were there was his mother's sister. Uh, she was the mother of John. Uh, love for this strange nephew of hers had grown over the years. Mary, the wife of Cleophas, was also there. Cleophas was the brother of Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus Christ. Mary Magdalene was there. Why would she have been there? Do you remember there were seven demons that he cast out of her? 
Don't you think her whole life was changed and she was willing to walk as a follower of Jesus Christ and to express her gratitude whenever she had the opportunity? And certainly John. But out of the disciples, including that inner circle, Peter, James, and John, the only one that showed up was John. Where were the others? Great question. But it's obvious that they are not here near the cross. Near the cross. Here at the feet of the Lord Jesus are these folks who are weeping at his death. Do you think folks would stop and say, you know, the words of a dying man are really great words sometimes. I quoted a few of those last time we were together. But what kind of place will this Jesus have for his mother? Will it be a special place for her? He's talking about a kingdom. Do you think he'll place her in a sense of being at a special place? What about this disciple who's standing here near the cross? Will he get an assignment that will have glory written all over it? Well, the answer to the questions are, neither of them will. You see, Jesus from the cross is speaking as Lord. And he issues a command, both to Mary and to John. Woman, behold thy son. Behold thy mother. And he's making assignments. He's speaking in ways that affect the position and the responsibilities of both his mother and his, di his disciple and himself. He no longer can function as a loyal son. He no longer can serve as the teacher to the disciple John. He arranges with these who have responsibilities in a relationship of places, placing him in the cl uh, classification as Lord. First he speaks to his mom. The Roman Catholic Church would have us to believe that in this speaking, he gave permission to Mary to mediate, be entrusted with the treasure of all of his grace, charged with the responsibility of distributing his blessings. I can't find that from the sayings on the cross. I can't find it anywhere else in the Bible either. Just the opposite. When he spoke to Mary, he just simply said, Behold your son looking at John, removing that relationship that he himself had with his mother. You see, the central figure at Calvary must always be Jesus. Jesus. And what he was doing was safeguarding future generations from becoming heretics in relationship to other people being put in positions of divinity. She certainly, his mom, is provided for in the sense of John taking her into her, to his home and as uh, you read in the scriptures, he cared for her until she passed away. But this third word from the cross, woman, behold thy son, this third word from the cross is dealing with that peculiar relationship between Jesus and Mary. According to the flesh, she's his mother. But this relationship, which is very precious to her, was also precious to him. 
But he's actually breaking that relationship. As a parent, and you have a child that's about to pass in from through the threshold of death, and they're saying their last words, you would love for them to be made to you, wouldn't you? And identify with that particular statement. But Jesus, as he speaks, does not call her mother, woman. Jesus is saying, I am actually breaking this relationship. When he asks her to look at her son, he doesn't draw attention to himself. He's pointing to John, the disciple. From now on, this is your son. Mother was the only term perhaps that she wanted to hear because isn't it a term that's dear to you ladies who are moms? Nothing quite like a mother, is there? This means yes. Come on, mom, shake your head. Make your husband and the kids realize who you are. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing how we, uh, oh, by the way, young people, your mother's not your old lady either. She demands respect and she's earned it. And honor your parents. In fact, there's a promise in the Bible that your days may be what? Long upon the earth. You dishonor your parents, you're shortening your life. I just thought I'd throw that in, parents. Just, you know, particular sense. So we had so many of our young people here. But it's also interesting that in breaking this relationship, uh, Jesus was honoring her to make sure that he cared for her situation. It's great to have memories of your mom, isn't it? I remember... Uh, the way mother used to look after us and look at us. Do you ever have a mother that just could look at you and say, oops, you're in trouble? I had one of those moms, you know, particularly if I was giggling in church. She had eyes in the back of her head. I could always try to sit behind her so I thought I could get away with something. Never could, never could. My mom and dad had lived together so long, they started to favor each other. Uh, they uh, were married for 67 years before my uh, dad died. And uh, so they were quite a pair. Uh, Lloyd and Bedell. And uh, I never called them Lloyd and Bedell. It was mom and dad, mom and dad. Uh, I felt like if I ever called them by their first name, I'd get up about two days later. Uh, and... Uh, uh, my mother should have been a track star. I taught her how to run. Because every time she started to whip me, I would run in a circle and she'd always catch up with me. She was quick. She was quick. The week before they were married, my dad had some maple boards, beautiful maple boards. And he, cooked, uh, he cut those boards and he made uh, what we called a flour and mill chest had two sections in it, and on one side, flour, on the other side was meal, and he put legs on it at the height of a lard can. Now that means Crisco, in case y'all don't understand what lard is, that's, that's grease. And that can would slide right under there, and mom's wooden kneading bowl, where she'd make our biscuits, was set right on top of it. So she could get the flour, put it in there. If she's making cornbread, she'd get the meal, get the grease, put it all together. 
Oh, to taste those biscuits would be heavenly again. And she'd do that sometimes three times a day. She made homemade biscuits for us and took care of that. Uh, after they moved away from there and all of us were away from home, I was back home visiting and looking in one of Dad's storage buildings and I saw that chest in one of the storage buildings. Legs had been broken. It was kind of propped up on its side over there. And I said, what are y'all going to do with that? He said, I don't know. It's your mama's. That's all he said. It's your mama's. So I went back to the house and I said, Mom, what are you going to do with that chest? That flower. He said, she said, why? I said, well, if you're just going to let it stay out there and get torn up or rot, I said, I'd like to have it. You want it? I said, sure, I'd like to have it. We'll take it. So I took the legs off of it. If you go to our house, come in our den, it's our coffee table. Sitting right there. Still got a lot of those old scratches on it and everything. I did have it finished. But it brings back memories of a lady who loved us so much that she ministered to our needs physically as well as uh, uh, spiritually. Now, she was also quite uh, inventive. Uh, when we moved to the Atlanta area and bought a home, it had a trash compactor in it. Isn't that a wonderful appliance to have? A trash compactor. Probably the most useless thing you spent your money on. But our kids thought it was fantastic. It was a brand new toy. They smashed everything that could be smashed in the house. Some things that didn't need to be smashed, they smashed. So when mom and dad came to visit, they decided they would uh, demonstrate the trash compactor. And they did. Oh my goodness. Mom and dad just bragged on the grandchildren that they were so smart to know how to operate that thing. And thus and so, okay, good, good. Well, about six, eight weeks later, we went to visit them. And I uh, got up there on a Friday and spent the night, Saturday morning breakfast. We were all in the dining room and cereal on the table. The kids were eating. Mom stepped out of her little kitchen area and said, she still called me Bobby, said, uh, uh, Bobby, did you see our trash compactor? I thought, oh my Lord. They're on a fixed income and they bought a trash compactor? I said, no ma'am, I didn't. She said, just, just sit still. She walked back in the kitchen and came back out with an empty cereal box. Dropped it in the floor and proceeded to stomp the dickens out of it. <laughs> that was my mom, her trash compactor. It worked. Worked better than ours, really. But she was that kind of lady. She would find a way to make the situations of life, even though they were difficult, bearable. Bearable. And she loved us in such a way that let us know that that love was genuine. I think Jesus experienced that with Mary. Even though there was a new, unique relationship with her that went beyond what we would call the family relationship, because remember, she had been visited by an angel. And she had heard in the instructions from heaven of the son that she was to bear. But Jesus was not denying a special position or privilege to her because of his earthly relationship to him. But he was placing her on the same plane, on the same location of the rest of those who loved him. 
And it's still true today. You see, nothing must interfere with who he is as the Savior of mankind. You see, Mary came to realize that the relationship spiritually was greater to her than the one of family relationship. Here she was getting a temporary home, there she's getting an eternal home, provided by the son that she bore. You see, when, when it says that from that hour, John took her and took her into his own home, it just meant that he took care of her and looked after her until the day she passed away, fulfilling his commitment and the assignment that was he, given, he was given uniquely by the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, these words of Jesus are filled with meaning for you and I and for all of us to understand. Full meaning of this and of who he was had to wait until Pentecost was understood. Resurrection was over. These things had happened. And when Mary discovered that he was more alive than he'd ever been, just like all of the others, she could say, I have been with Jesus. So she sincerely took her place as a believer. She found that the salvation relationship was even greater than the family relationship because she got a home out of it, right? Her streets now are not dirt, they're paved with gold. And this boy, this Jesus, who grew up, has now prepared that for her and for John and for others at the cross. Mary Magdalene was there. You remember her. She was the woman that Jesus cast seven devils out of. How do you think she was handling her grief in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? But she has discovered that the relationship of her forgiveness is greater as she waits for that day when beholding the resurrected Christ will lead us in those directions. But he was also making assignments to us, wasn't he? Sure he was. Sure he was. Annie Johnson Flint wrote this little poem. Christ has no hands, but whose hands? Our hands. Christ has no hands, but our hands to do his work today. He has no feet, but a little louder. Our feet to lead men in his way. He has no tongue, but our tongue to tell men how he died. He has no help but our help to bring them to his side. You see, here's a responsibility as believers we can't get away from, folks. And to try to ignore and, and, and to shirk our responsibility, we are committing the sin of despising the cross of Jesus Christ. And you don't want to do that. The definite assignment is still the same. Folks, isn't it marvelous that we have the opportunity to be the substitute for the substitute? Jesus was the substitute rather than me having to die for my own sins, so therefore I have a responsibility to substitute for what he did. And so do you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what are you doing about it? Woman, behold thy son, behold thy mother. 
But also Jesus is assuming some responsibilities here. He's assuming his assignment. The primary significance here, and we must never forget, was not for Mary and not for John, nor that repentant thief that was being crucified next to Jesus. Jesus, as I said earlier, is the central figure at Calvary. Jesus is supreme on Mount Calvary, fulfilling to the last detail the law of Moses. Thou shalt honor thy father and mother. And he was doing it literally and worldly. He was meeting the demands. She found out that it was a greater relationship than she ever dreamed of. Jesus was always careful to make sure that the details were met in detail. One reason that he refused to use the word mother was he knew where he was going before the day was over. Do you remember where Jesus was going on his crucifixion day before the day was over? He was going to hell. And he would not even carry the very iota of relationship of that term mother to hell with him. Because the covering to close hell to those who responded to the cross had to be dealt with. He is and was the supreme person at Calvary. Every jot and every tittle of the law are fulfilled. The least thing we can say as to the significance of this third word for himself. But folks, it's not the last or the most important. The most significant thing that we can say about woman, behold thy son, behold thy mother, is that he is cutting himself away so that no one could pull back and say that you have forsaken the best. He had taken the best that earth could offer him and renounced every tie that could bind him to it and to become the savior of the whole world. No obstruction. He gave up all for sinners like you and me. At Calvary, no one was closer to him, not even the repentant thief, his own mother or his own disciple, than you and I have the opportunity to be. How close are you? How close? In the presence of the eternal Son of God who gave up the glories of heaven to come to bear the shame and die on the earth for the sin of you and me and all of mankind. I know that it hurt Mary's heart, and I know that it hurt the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we don't have to be overly concerned because soon those tears are going to be wiped away. She was not the sufferer of Calvary. Put your, put, put your pity on Jesus if you have to put it somewhere. It was a part of the sacrifice, and she learned that the eternal home provided was greater than anything. Jesus provided for it and gave it in such a way that he's left us with the opportunity of still experiencing that family relationship with the eternal family of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing I think that you and I have to come to understand 
is there's no hope except in the saviorhood of Jesus Christ. No hope. Mary, who had been honored of God, visited by an angel, loved by a faultless son, found herself not in the memory of high privileges, but at the feet of her Savior. We need to take our place with those on the same level and make sure that we've come to the foot of the cross and we've bowed in repentance and experienced the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ as he's given us eternal life. And secondly, there is no usefulness except in the lordship of Jesus Christ. He is Lord, he is Lord. That's where John found his high calling, substituting for and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. As he yielded to Jesus as his Savior and Lord, he discovered God's plan or Jesus' plan for him with relationship to Mary and to who he was. As we come to the Lord, we discover God's plan for us for this day and time and for eternity. And as we do it, you know what happens? We begin to experience joy unspeakable. You experienced it this morning. It was in your singing, in your stomping. There was joy that talking and singing and experiencing together who we are in Jesus Christ. You know what we're doing? We're saying thank you. Thank you. And if we can't, let's do it again soon. Amen? That was mighty weak. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe I, can get in a, maybe I can get in a suit and boots then. You see, we come to points in time as Calvary was. And as we come to those points, we find that Jesus is not on the cross anymore. He conquered that cross. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. And when we as believers come in prayer and begin to pray in the name of Jesus with the problems that we have, he listens. And as he listens, the Father's listening for his evaluation as they determine together the answer that will come. As a result of that fellowship, we then sense the inspiration that causes us to become that person of substitution. Because as a believer in Jesus Christ, he is resident within us all the time. And when we're in a situation, no matter what time of the day or night, where we are, there are opportunities when the Holy Spirit will say to you and me in our hearts and our spiritual being, this is what you ought to do. This is what you not. This is what you should not do. And as God gives lead to us, let's make sure that we remember Jesus and Calvary because he paid the price so that he could say to the Father, behold your daughter. Behold your son, because they have believed in me. You may be here, and you've never made that kind of decision of belief in Jesus Christ. God, the Holy Spirit, has spoken to your heart and life today and said, this is the day of salvation, just like the day there on Calvary, when Jesus was there dying. I dealt with the situation and took care of those who were believing in me. So would you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, and the Bible says he'll save you, he'll forgive you. 
And you know what? He always keeps his word. He'll save you. He'll forgive you. But you must believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and he is your Savior.